Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only Internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Today's topic is mold and brain health. I'm so very excited about today's show because my special guest is Dr. Jill Carnahan. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Jill Carnahan completed her residency at the University of Illinois program in family medicine and her medical degree from Loyola University School of Medicine in Chicago. She is duly board certified in family medicine and integrative holistic medicine. Dr. Jill is also certified in functional medicine through the Institute for Functional Medicine. She is a 17-year survivor of breast cancer and Crohn's disease and passionate about teaching patients how to live well and thrive in the midst of complex and chronic illness. She is also committed to teaching other physicians how to address underlying causes of illness rather than just treating symptoms through the principles of functional medicine. Dr. Jill, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thank you, Dr. Carey. Excited to be here with you as always. So Dr. Jill, I've heard you speak multiple times, but when I did my training with Dr. Bredesen on learning about dementia and Alzheimer's and how to reduce cognitive decline, um, you were specifically speaking about mold and mycotoxins and sears and how this has such a dramatic impact on brain health. And I thought at that point, I thought I knew a lot at that point, and it's, it, it always happens like, you know, professionally, you think you're at a good place professionally, and then uh, Mother Nature physiology will come around <laughs> and put you down three notches on the ladder, and you're like, wow, holy cow, I just, I don't know what I thought I knew. So after I heard you speak about mold, I thought I need to get her on the podcast so that we can help spread this message, because as you know, this is such a huge problem, so... Where should we start? Where do you think is a good place to start? Oh, well, I would love to talk just a little background. So first of all, I completely understand. You know, the more we know, the more we realize we don't know, right? Yes. And I know like you, I love to learn and grow. And so um, I guess I could start with story because that's how I got interested and really passionate about mold-related illness. And I think that'll set the background if that's all right with you. Okay. Okay, so back in 2014, I had an office with Dr. Robert Roundtree in Boulder, um, beautiful practice, um, and I started over the summer of that year becoming sh- more short of breath. Um, we had a two flights of stairs up to my upstairs office, and I would literally walk in the patient's upstairs, not be able to com- uh, complete full sentences because of my shortness of breath when I got to the top of the stairs. And I had been like a runner, I was active, hiking, biking, you know, doing 
5 and 10 Ks. So this was highly unusual, and I'd never had any history of asthma or, or significant lung or airway disease. So I knew something wasn't quite right there. I didn't know what that meant. And I also began having immune issues, so immune, um, uh, all kinds of susceptibility to sinus infections and lung infections and skin uh, rashes and infections. And I knew there was something not right there either. So these two things should have clued me in because um, lungs are dramatically affected by mold, and so is the immune system. And if we talk about um, symptoms and things, those are two big systems. Um, also, the brain, which is our main topic today, are dramatically affected. The other thing I noticed is I think a lot of people who experience mold-related illness subjectively have some cognitive issues, and I definitely did. I don't think uh, really people noticed it around me. I was able to completely function and do, you know, like I always had. But what I noticed is words. I would have trouble with words. I would say the wrong words for things. Or like in typing an email, I would like type a word, and I was like, that's not what I meant to type. It was very strange. Um, and I think people, well, sometimes word finding is a real common thing. And then just a little bit more fogginess. It took me just a little bit longer, say, to complete an article, blog article, or things like that. So that's the background. And I kind of knew in the back of my mind mold might be a culprit, but I was a little afraid. And I give so much compassion to my patients and people that I talk to because most everybody who has this issue um, – it will affect their car at the very least or their home or their workplace or some significant environment. And it could mean, you know, leaving a home, leaving a job, selling a house, losing money. There's some pretty big financial implications in this illness because it's environment and there's some place where that patient is being triggered. So I, just like my patients, was kind of slow and um, acknowledging that mold could be an issue. But finally it got bad enough that I checked um, – I checked my own urine for mycotoxins, and they were present in high levels. And then I did some blood work that I described at the lecture, and we can talk about today, um, of, of abnormal immune dysfunction, and it showed all positive on all fronts. And then finally, I checked our basement, which had been flooded in 2013, and there was bulk samples of stachybotrys present. Um, there was a crawl space right below my office that probably had mold. And all of this kind of uh, rose up to the second floor in my office. And for me, with the genetics, um, it caused significant illness. And I literally found out about the mold for sure. Um, I think it was around Christmas on 2014. I never set foot in my office again. I sold all of my um, office belongings and then I uh, just brought the paper charts and I actually continued to stay ill until I scanned those paper charts. And that's why I'm often talking to people about porous materials and things in a significantly moldy environment may affect them in their health like it did with me. So Dr. Jill, going back to your brain health, so you mentioned you had difficulty word finding, yes. having foggy brain, and mm -hmm. these things are very common. So, when, yes, we, so cool. when we start talking to patients, they're very common. And, and you and I, we have our, you know, in, the, in our mind, there's like red flags of, oh, my gosh, something's going wrong here. But very commonly, patients just kind of write that off as far as, oh, I'm just getting older and this is, this is normal. So what's the difference between what is normal and what is not normal when it comes to brain health? Oh, such a good question. Well, we really should be pretty sharp and, and on it. And our, our cognitive abilities shouldn't dramatically decline in over a year's period of time, for example. Um, one thing that's important in um, Alzheimer's and dementia and then also in this illness is genetics. Um, so there's things like the HLA types that make people more susceptible to mold. And there's also the APOE types like 4-4 that are highly susceptible to dementia or Alzheimer's. So unless you have a 4-4, it's actually fairly uncommon for a younger 40s, 50s, even early 60s 
60s to start presenting with significant cognitive decline. So what, one thing that's a clue to me is if someone in their 40s and 50s is having significant sudden decline in cognition, that's not a normal process. Um, that's not normal even for Alzheimer's disease. And Dr. Dale Bredesen and I, we both see, um, we used to think it was a small percentage of patients. Well, now he estimates about 30% or one in three of his Alzheimer's patients have had a significant environmental toxic exposure like mold. So this is actually epidemic. And now that I really understand and can see the signs and symptoms um, in the illness, I can't tell you the number of people that present with either, like, say, gut dysfunction or Crohn's or colitis or SIBO, or they present with mild subjective cognitive decline, or they present with immune dysfunction. And um, many, many times I find mold at the root um, of this problem. And it's shocking how much it does affect us. That is shocking, that number one in three. Yeah. And so how do how do our listeners out there, how do they know if they've been exposed to mold or a water-damaged building? Yeah, so super common symptoms would be the, the foggy brain, the word finding, difficulty with concentration, memory, um, calculations. Um, the gut can be affected. So often patients will have heartburn. They'll have gas or bloating or diarrhea, constipation, abnormal bowel function. Um, the lungs and sinuses, because it's an airborne toxin in some cases, there's actually a whole slew of toxins in uh, water-damaged buildings. And it's more than just the mold and the spores. It's actually VOCs from the bacteria and the, the mycotoxins and then mycotoxins themselves. So there's a whole slew of toxic insult when there's a water damage, and these can affect the lungs and the sinuses. Typically, people will have congestion, um, sinus pressure, chronic sinus infections, um, difficulty breathing, shortness of breath. Um, It causes an inflammation in the immune system in those who are genetically susceptible, so they can even have a lower extremity swelling, um, exercise intolerance, and that might be beyond the lungs. It might be just a physiological difficulty in delivering oxygen to the tissues. I see that all the time, and that happened to me too, where before I could run five miles and all of a sudden I could barely, you know, walk fast a mile without having heavy limbs and shortness of breath and kind of this tiredness that was a, a really a, the cytokines affecting oxygen delivery at the capillary level. So it's pretty profound. Um, other things would be um, uh, skin rashes are very common. Uh, headaches are common. Um, ice pick pain is kind of strange and usual, very sharp stabbing pain is not uncommon. Um, I've seen people have um, visual changes or disturbances and then mood is affected um, and what I've seen is different molds almost have different personalities. I'm assuming it's probably because of the different, um, you know, a subset of mycotoxins they produce. Some of them will cause like a massive depression. I've even seen suicidality. Some of them will cause more just a fatigue. Um, One interesting thing, um, I'm very sensitive to mold now and I'm actually kind of like a mold dog because if I have a patient who walks in and they've been in a moldy environment significantly, there's some signs I have usually that I can usually tell and I'll look at the science and the testing to prove it, but I can usually tell if I'm with someone who's been exposed to mold, which is very unique. And so one of the things, so as I've been, you know, um, sitting with patients that have dementia and Alzheimer's or they have cognitive decline, and, and I'm kind of going through my uh, my Bredesen, you know, training and trying to, you know, figure out their cases, is, you know, a certain amount of patients know that they've been in a water-damaged building, uh, either, you know, living in one or working with one, but most patients don't realize it. Oh, you're absolutely right. For, so for your clinicians listening, this is huge. Because if you just say, do you have a mold problem or do you, or have you been exposed to mold? 99% of people, even those who have an exposure, will say no. 
So you really have to get creative in asking the questions. Things like, do you work or live in a flat roof building? Is there condensation on the windows? Have you ever had a pipe burst or your laundry, your washer dryer uh, break or any sort of water leaks? Have you ever had buckling of your floors? Have you had um, a musty smell, which is VOCs for mold, in your home or workplace? Have you ever had a sensation of feeling dark or headache or symptoms when you go into a certain room or your basement? Do you have a crawl space? Is it sealed? Um, what is your um, airflow system like? Do you open your windows in the summer or winter? So all of these are so many questions that you have to ask to get creative. And um, as you start to see the pattern, uh, either in their illness, one of the things I find that's a big clue is their history. So I'll say, when did you feel well? When, when, when did you last feel well? And they'll say, you know, 1994. And then what happened after 1994? Well, we moved to this new house in XYZ. So sometimes the pattern of the history where they all of a sudden got ill, and especially if it's a new environment, especially if more than one family member have been affected. So if a whole family presents with really bizarre related illnesses, that is a, a likely environmental exposure. And so I look pretty deeply into that as well. And the other thing that I was thinking of, too, and I learned this from you, is that, you know, just asking the patient where you work, have you ever looked up at the ceiling? Like, are there water spots on the ceiling? Yes. And it's shockingly common, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Yeah. Well, it's common that people don't look up. Okay. Well, next time when you go to the office tomorrow, look up and tell me if you see water damage, you know, water spots on the ceiling. Yes. Another really interesting thing you can ask, I ask this all the time, is have you been traveling or on vacation anywhere recently where you've been away from your home or workplace for, say, 10 to 14 days? Because so often the clue I'll get is, oh, my gosh, I went on vacation. I had a patient a year ago. She had significant, her presentation was gut issues. That's it. A little cognitive issues, but mostly gut. She said, I went camping for 10 days, and all of my symptoms went away. And so that kind of a a history is like, okay, there's something in her environment that's affecting her health. And then we dug deeper in both her um, vacation condo in the mountains and her home in Boulder were affected by mold. And so going back to how this affects brain health, this uh, falls under the subtype 3 toxin subtype of um, dementia. Exactly. And so in subtype 3, we have mold, we have toxins, we can also have Lyme, we can have chronic infections. There's many different things. Um, And of of course, this is why I wanted to have you on today to talk talk about mold, because as you said, it's like one in three patients that have cognitive symptoms uh, can be related to mold. Yeah, so um, so those kinds of things would be, so obviously um, what you're dealing with, what I'm dealing with at the clinic is people um, sometimes in their 40s, 50s, even early 60s coming in with saying, you know what, I can't remember things like I used to, or I have a family history of Alzheimer's. And what you're describing is the Bredesen protocol, we look at what would be the underlying factors, it's really just the perfect functional medicine approach to brain health um, that might be contributing and as you mentioned, there's there's other types that are related to glucose or hormones. This type, type 3, is related to an environmental toxic exposure. Now, we lump it all together. There's a predominantly, um, I mean, mold's a huge piece of that. But in this type 3, it could also be things like a tick-borne illness that's creating biotoxins in the body. When we talk about biotoxins, biotoxins is just a way to describe bio, meaning living, living toxins. So things that come from living sources, that would include mold, um, ticks, or things that carry um, Babesia, Bartonella, Borrelia, 
and all of those kinds of infections. Other types of biotoxins that could also cause a similar presentation as mold would be Singulatera, some kinds of uh, toxins from blue-green algae, and then some of the toxins in the um, in the fish, like grouper, snapper. Um, there's different toxins that we can see present like that. If you've ever heard of the red tide down in the Gulf, that's actually um, a toxic algae bloom that presents very similar to mold-related illness. So, for example, someone hypothetically could have lived right by a, a red tide significantly have cognitive decline, and that would present just like we would see with a mold-related cognitive decline. So this type 3, um, the good news is uh, often if you really get them out of the environment and treat the exposure, um, the number one thing when you're dealing with this illness is exposure. Um, you really can't make a huge dent in their treatment or their recovery unless you get them in a safe environment. And that's the hard thing. And honestly, that's 80% of the treatment. But it's hard because, as we mentioned, people are, you know, at their workplace or in their home. And these things have significant implications for the rest of their family, for their job, for everything. But often, if we have enough data to support it, um, when patients really do take it seriously like I did and leave, um, they get well. Like, I'm 99.9% recovered. I almost have no significant symptoms except that I can tell there's a mold around me, and that's because I got out of the situation. So it's hard. It's the hardest step, but it's so critical with these patients. So, Dr. Jill, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was a urine test to test for mycotoxins. Can you talk about that, and what other tests do you do? Like, when you have a patient... Um, that you have these suspicions that they might have um, issue with mold. Uh, can you talk about some of those tests for our listeners? You got it. Um, so the first thing I get all the time on the Internet for my blogs is, what's the one test for mold? <laughs> so I'm sorry to say there's no one test. Um, I want to make that really clear. It's really a, a conglomeration of history, of screening, and then of these tests that I'll discuss. Um, and it's important to look at all of it because you don't want to jump to a conclusion and make someone move out of their house if that it really isn't the issue. Um, I want to go back just a minute, and then I'll come back to urinary mycotoxins. Uh, we talked about history. History is huge, and there's very often I make a pretty presumed diagnosis based on a really good history. Um, I will always back it up with the science with the lab testing, so I never jump to conclusions, but a history alone can give you a pretty good idea if this person is having a mold exposure. That's number one. Number two is screening. There's two free things you can do that don't cost the patient or you anything at all. Well, I should say they do cost a small amount, but very, very inexpensive. First one is uh, symptom cluster analysis, and this is um, verified by Dr. Shoemaker and his group. Um, it's on their website, um, survivingmold.com, and it's a set of symptoms that are clustered. There's 13 clusters, and if you have any one positive symptom in those clusters and you have eight or more of the clusters positive, it's likely there could be a diagnosis of the chronic inflammatory response to mold. So that's screening. Visual contrast testing has been around since um, 1940s, and they used to use it in the armed forces to, to um, diagnose a possible toxic exposure in their troops. Um, but what this does is a screening test you can do online on the computer, or I have one that you can do in the office and any practitioner can get that as well and basically screening for visual contrast sensitivity and if that is abnormal um, also likely so if I have a, a screening questionnaire and a visual contrast abnormal then I go more digging for the lab test now lab test um, LabCorp or Quest or any sort of hospital lab can often do some of the chronic inflammatory labs. They're complex, they're expensive, but typically some of the top ones that I do are the HLA genetics, the TGF beta, um, MSH, or melanocyte-stimulating hormone, antidiuretic hormone and osmolality, um, VEGF, 
Uh, and those are the most common. There's others like MMP9 you can do, um, but those would be the top ones that I do frequently. And then, um, of course, it's helpful to test hormone levels and all of these other things, blood glucose, but those are the top mold-related. And then you mentioned urinary mycotoxin testing. So there's Real-Time Labs who's been around a while, and they do um, ELISA testing for the um, mycotoxins. And the newer kid on the block is Great Plains Mycotox is the name of it. And they actually do a little bit more sensitive testing with mass spectroscopy. So I find I've been using this primarily. They're both good tests. It's just Real-time labs has been around a longer. Great Plains is newer, but I find it to be a little bit more sensitive. And they test, I believe, like seven or eight different mycotoxins in the urine. So that's always a nice confirmation. You don't know if it's past or current exposure, however, so it can be a little tricky to, to figure out what's going on there. And so as you were saying, it's, it's um, a big part of it is just history. Yes. And then as you were saying, a young person that has cognitive decline that's happening, rap- happening rapidly is kind of a red flag. Exactly, exactly. My commonest ones, I had a 48-year-old male who all of a sudden just could not, he was an executive and could not put, I mean, 48, that's young, and it was significant. And then I had a 56-year-old attorney who all of a sudden could barely practice because of her. So these younger people that are professionals, just not that they have to be professionals, but sudden decline that affects their occupation is pretty significant. And then as you were saying of... Um, Kind of in the, in the history, if this is possible, that that they've recently gone on vacation or gone camping, like they get away yes. from their moldy area for a period yes. of time, a couple of weeks, and they feel better, you know, and then that's, they go back and then they feel worse. That's exactly, and that's almost like a classic, that's such a clear indication. Now, sometimes if they go away for seven days and they're really sick and toxic, they may not feel better. So it can be tricky. But if they say they went away, they all their symptoms uh, went away as they were gone. And then they came back to their house and they came back. Well, there's something in that house that's contributing. And so then you were also saying that treating mold, uh, 80% of it is just getting out of that environment. Yeah, if I had to boil it down, now this is super simplified, but just to yeah, take yeah, it, yeah. super simplified, get them out of the environment, and enhance their glutathione, I give it liposomally or IV, and give them binders. That alone will clear most of your patients. There's a ton of other stuff you can do, but it gets so complex. And if you're new to this and you're overwhelmed already, because it is that there's so many labs and things to learn, um, you can simply, glutathione's quite safe. Something like activated charcoal or clay are quite safe, even if you're not positive about an exposure. Um, I maybe wouldn't do the prescription binders in the beginning if you don't know for sure. But some of those really benign, there's things like um, zeolite, clay, charcoal, um, glycomannans. Um, there's things like um, Takasami Supreme, which is, a, a, um, I think it's a, a bamboo-derived a binder. There's so many great binders out there that um, will bind different types of toxins. And so when I think toxic load is an issue, I will look at environment, give them out if possible, um, give enhanced glutathione if any way you can, IV, liposomal, or even precursors like C and NAC and R-lipoic acid. And then finally, um, giving binders. And that alone will help a ton of your patients. And you had said with your background, with your history, that your office was uh, water damaged and you you had to so you sold everything and the only thing you took with you was your paper files which Uh eventually got scanned electronically because all of that has mold like you have to get rid of everything because it all has mold in it 
Exactly. And, you know, I just, there's so many questions. Probably the biggest question I get is, what do I do with my belongings? How do I deal with this? I just wrote a blog article on this trying to make a really comprehensive guide. So if your listeners want to look that up, it's on my website. Um, it's just jillcarnian.com. But the blog describes, and, and I've described to patients, you really have to, anything that's um, non-porous, your desk, your, your leather couch, you can wipe those down and clean them. Most clothing can be cleaned or dry cleaned. That's usually not an issue. The issue is paper and porous materials. So from, from my example, it was paper, that, paper charts that had been opened and closed in the moldy environment. And there's literally um, small particular VOCs and toxins that cling to that paper. It sounds bizarre, but I um, my labs were not normal until I got rid of those charts, and then my labs became normal, and I started to recover. So, were you able to take your diplomas? You know, okay, so those were all in sealed. Um, that's a great question because anything like framed or sealed or paintings or art, most of the time, like a canvas, you could gently wipe it down or take it to a restoration company. Um, uh, antique rugs and things you could have professionally cleaned. And then my diplomas were all in glass cases. So the only problem is the backing is a cardboard. We literally switched out all the backing and then cleaned the front, and it, they've been fine. They're in my office currently, so no problem. Well, that, that's good. So <laughs> so the, the big thing is... Um, First off, the history, and uh, and are there any red flags of mold exposure? You went through a lot of the symptoms, signs and symptoms of it, and uh, then treatment. Uh, treatment is very complex, and there there are practitioners that are you know this is their uh, expertise is they've been trained in the Shoemaker Protocol. Yes. And I want to mention, so I don't forget, this is huge. There's a brand new organization. So your uh, practitioners who are listening, highly recommend. I'm actually on the board, but um, other than that, I have no ulterior motive. It's a great um, non-political, you know, there's no other interest in this organization. It's called the International Society for Environmentally Acquired Illness. So I-S-E-A-I um, dot org. And I highly recommend for people who are interested in or treating mold-related illness, this is where the next generation of education and papers and research is going to come from. I'm just so excited to be part of it because there's been so many camps and politics around this kind of illness, and we don't need that. We just need to help patients. And I think this organization is really going to take it to the next level. So any practitioners can be a part of that and just keep update. There's a listserv, so any questions that patients have, you know, we can bounce them around among the practitioners and that's a great way to stay connected. I'm so glad that you brought that up because in the day-to-day medical practice of the average family doc, um, mold illness is usually not on their radar screen and uh, and it it is a very controversial area Uh, and so it's good that we have more research coming out you know saying that this is not all in a patient's head this is a real thing and we need to start addressing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, like you probably, as we have our eyes open, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is way bigger than I ever thought. Um, I'm I'm shocked sometimes. And honestly, because of my personal experience, I don't want to have the bias that I'm thinking it's all mold. So sometimes I'm actually very cautious about my interpretation. But what I find is I get the labs back and there's a significant issue. I'm like, okay, I was right again. You know, it's like this. It really is true that it's significantly affecting many of our patients. Dr. Jill, we just have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything else that we've not mentioned that you think is important for our listeners to understand? Uh, um, Just think about this. It's better, you don't have to be an expert in this um, if you're a clinician or if you're a patient, but you do have to just be aware that it is out there. And I think just the awareness, 
even if you don't treat it yourself, you can find somebody who does, um, is, is huge because you'll find that, and we talk about mold as a huge part of it, but really our environmental toxic load in general is the elephant in the room in our medical illness, in our system, and our diseases because so often the immune system is overloaded by this exposure, whatever it is, and um, the body just can't keep up and becomes ill because of it. So I think environmental toxic load in general is the is the biggest next epidemic that we need to know about. And um, one of the things that I thought about as you were saying that is um, going back to Dr. Bredesen, he talks about, you know, once you're really doing your protocol, that you should see changes within three to six months yeah. with your health. And mm-hmm. and I could say kind of across the board generally, that's a pretty good, um, a, a pretty good thing to go by. If you make major changes in your health, you should you should see changes within three to six months. You know, if you're doing the diet, if you're getting good sleep, if you're taking your supplements, if you're doing all of the stuff you're supposed to be doing, you should see changes within three to six months. And if you don't, there's something that's being missed, and that you know, could be a- that could be mold, that could be toxins. That's a great point because that's often where I've gone with people like they're not getting better according to my protocol, which I know should probably work. And I'm like, what else? So just like you said, asking the question, what else? And being aware that this could be an issue is really all, if someone doesn't want to get all the way dive into it, just asking what else and having that on your radar is huge. And that there's a lot of sick people out there and that you're sick for a reason and we have to figure it out. Yes. Dr. Jill, this has been such a great interview. How can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, thanks, Carrie. Um, I You can just go to my website. I have all kinds of free resources and articles. If you want to stay in touch, sign up for my newsletter. And I do have a brand new, complete, comprehensive mold guide on basic treatments people can do themselves at home, uh, how to suspect exposure, how to get rid of your belongings. Um, and I'm happy to give you that link um, for your show notes if you'd like. I would love that, yeah. And so um, if you can send that to me, then I'll put that in the podcast notes. And and uh, Dr. Jill's website is a wealth of information. I've actually given lots of different links to lots of patients so that they can learn about mold and sears and brain health and all of that. So thank you for putting that together. I know that takes a lot of your time and energy. Thank you, Dr. Carey. I do appreciate it. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Dr. Jill Carnahan. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next time for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.